welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Uh, today is a, well, I guess second edition, really, of the uh, kind of veterinary student takeover. So I have two different current vet students with me tonight that we're going to go through a couple of quick questions. We're going to hit on different Q&A that they may have as well, but I want to get everyone introduced here. So the first is Thomas Kyle, who is a DVM candidate class of 2023 at Washington State University, former National VMA Marketing Director and former WSU VMA President. And you can find him on Instagram, TK, the animal guy. And then Max Wunschel, which I this said his name about four times before I started recording, uh, DVM candidate class of 2024, University of Georgia, he is an active VBA member at UGA, and you can find him at Max underscore, and then his last name, W-U-N-S-C-H-E on Instagram. So, Thomas, Max, welcome, welcome. Thanks for carving out some time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Definitely happy to be here. Awesome. So, before we jump into everything, I'm going to pause real quick, hit the sponsors. We'll be right back. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. So this episode is going to be a little bit back and forth where a lot of times what I do in this podcast is you guys have both listened to it is I typically just ask questions and shut up. So I'm going to get to play a little bit of that, but then I'm going to let you guys ask some questions as well. So whoever wants to take this one first, first question, best VMA talk that you've heard in the last year that was not given by yours truly. So anything that stuck out and you don't have to you know sugarcoat it and pick me. So I'm going to exclude myself. I guess as cliche as it is for being on this podcast, I think something that the VBMA lacks a lot of is talking about investing and investing in general. And we had one speaker last year, mid-March, come and talk about Investing 101, which was huge because that's just a hole in the VBMA that I've seen over the years of being really involved is there's not a lot of talk on that, which is kind of the fundamentals of growing your capital. So that was pretty amazing to hear. Awesome. And then Max, your thoughts? Yeah, one that comes to mind is um, Dr. Tim Lunum. 
he's with the Encore Vet Group and he has a close relation to UGA. He's a UGA grad and everything and is always just a really great speaker and kind of highlights like his journey into practice ownership and has a great background. He went into the military and everything and has a very interesting background. So it was cool to see that and just his ownership journey. So I appreciated his talk. I love it. So Max, I'm going to come back to you with this. You can answer this one first. So what's the plans for your career after you graduate and you're done, right? So you become a DVM, what's next? And I know this will change, but what's the thought process? I feel like from the get-go, I've kind of been interested in ownership. Probably when I was first starting out, I was probably more gun ho than I am on it now. I still definitely see that in the future, but I'm starting to see like all the behind the scenes and it's a lot to take on, but still super pumped about that prospect. So Really, after graduation, I'm going to follow good opportunity, good mentorship, decent pay, all that for the first couple of years, and then kind of see what, what lies ahead as far as ownership goes. Love it, Thomas. Yeah, I am along a similar trajectory. I will definitely build up my clinical skills first, the first couple of years out, and I'd love to pursue practice ownership. I'm kind of threading a different needle now. Although practice ownership is still very real in my future realm of possibilities, I really enjoy connecting people and finding them opportunities. And I think it would be fun to help veterinarians build out clinics for them and a culture that they want to kind of foster. So that's something else that's I've, I've been kind of pondering on <laughs> of recent, but yeah. All right. So Thomas, I'm going to come back to you for this question and then Max will jump back to you. So thinking about that career, and one of the things that I've talked a lot about on this podcast has been all around recruiting and retaining talent and talking to owners. So when you sit there and say, hey, I'm going to graduate, Mr. Mrs. Owner, you know, ownership group, you need to provide this for me. What are the top one or two or three things that you're like, this needs to be there for me to be really interested in this, this opportunity? I'll start off by probably saying the two most common things, culture and mentorship. A lot of people have probably heard this, but, you know, culture, eat strategy for breakfast. I really think that if you are going into veterinary medicine, you're going to be a general practitioner. If you're going to be an ER, the methodologies are going to be pretty similar no matter where you go. But the people that you surround yourself with are what's going to make your job. It's going to make you happy in your job. And that's extremely important to me. I don't want to not be able to talk to people at work. <laughs> I think that sounds pretty miserable. So culture is right next to mentorship. My biggest fear coming out into practice, I've been asked this in interview questions, is what are you scared of the most coming out? And it's not having the resources that I need to be successful in situations that I don't know a lot about. We come out of school, we don't know what we need to know for the real world of being a veterinarian. So I think that having mentors that will take the time and are willing to teach you and show you the ropes, procedures, things like that, those two, culture and mentorship, are definitely the pinnacles for me. I would take a massive pay cut to have both of those for at least the first few years out of practice. And that's something I've thought about a lot too. Yeah. Um, following up on that, probably going to sound like a broken record, but culture is definitely the pinnacle of what's important. Anytime you're working with other people, feel like it's not really the location that matters or anything. It's truly the people that you work with day in and day out. Um, that's going to be like your family, essentially, for however long you're working there. So that sticks out the most. And then another thing is the kind of medicine they practice, like the cases they see, especially for the first couple of years. I think that's highly important just to 
learn the ropes. And if they see a bunch of like really cool, interesting cases, that's definitely going to be of interest to me. Max, I love that last piece that you just talked about because being exposed to lots of things is going to make you much more well-rounded. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was Dr. Johnson, Dr. Michael Johnson III, who's down in New Orleans, was talking about he was exposed to a ton of stuff early on and it helped him become super successful from that standpoint where he sees today so many new grads that don't want to touch anything. It's basically glorified urgent care at times and they don't want to get their hands dirty and they're just too afraid to mess up. So I love that. And I would encourage a lot of people to think about it the same way. So love that answer. Okay. Last thing, Max, I'm going to come back to you. What are you most excited about today? Does not need to be that med related. I know you're at University of Georgia, but I know you're not a University of Georgia fan necessarily, but I'm not going to put you on blast for that. So what has you excited today? Yeah. Uh, going to my third year, this is going to be the last semester before we go to clinics and kind of start getting really hands-on and getting our hands dirty and everything. So that's super appealing to me. I'm the first to say that I'm I'm a good student, obviously, like gotten this far and done well in vet school, but not my forte. I much prefer hands-on work. So I'm super excited about kind of closing out the didactic material and going to clinics. I guess I'm kind of on the mid-half of what you said, Max. In, I'm in clinics, so I'm currently job hunting, job searching. What's Getting me excited is finding the place that I can fit in with the best and become the best version of myself in the veterinary professional world. I'm really excited to see my plans totally change in the next five years because I know they will. And it always gets me excited because I think that uh, we all try to follow one trajectory for our careers and then we kind of get flipped on our head and we figure out there's other things that we really like to do. So that's what's getting me excited is the change that's coming. I love it. So this is the part where we'll flip scripts. So what questions or what is top of mind or things that you've had discussions with peers around just either personal finance, career related? Thomas, I know you talked about like with VVMA, just like the investing 101 type of conversation. I've tried in my own little roundabout way with the podcast, just try to break up some content like that to present it that way. But any questions? And this can go to, to either of you. Well, we'll start with you, Thomas. You got anything top of mind? Something that's been kind of eating away at me is it's been debt repayment versus investing. Specifically right now, it was actually a question one of my peers had asked me. He's like, you know, I know interest rates are low and I have this money and I don't want to just pay off my student loans if I'm not occurring any sort of capital on top of it. Should I be investing right now? Or should I be taking different methods to pay off my student loans? And I was like, that's a great question. I don't have an answer. It might be a subjective decision, but I wasn't sure what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, it would be subjective. I mean, the first thing I would ask that person is like, what are they going to do? Like, what's the career path, right? That's going to change eight times, but like, what do they want to do? Because if you told me without a doubt, hey, I want to try to go and either do a startup or acquire something, that's going to be a very different answer where maybe you want to hold on to some more cash longer term versus I want to work in industry or I know I want to be an associate or I have no desire for ownership for like a long time, like 10 plus years or whatever. Hey, I want to have a family, do different things then maybe I'll look at that down the road or I'm going to work for a corporation and I'll have, you know, a little bit of equity into the larger corporate entity. And that's fine too. That's a great way to see the increase. But yeah, the idea of, I've talked about this before with like inflation, 
if you have a fixed rate debt and you see inflation get bigger and bigger over time and just continue to erode what that is, especially depending on how you're paid in veterinary medicine, if you're paid pro-sale or production, your pay as costs increase is going to continue to grow as well. And that debt is going to stay the same. Now, if you're on pay or repay and it's a percentage of your income, yes, that's going to then grow proportionally, but it will cap out at some point. So I'm not a proponent of like getting super aggressive and paying down debt, even though that's what Dave Ramsey and what the responsible thing should be told is that you should pay down your debt. But we are not in a world that is rewarding that at the moment. And as much as I don't like that, and the words don't sound nice coming off of my tongue, like what I would encourage is go try to get assets that are productive and don't worry as much about the debt and think of the debt more as like a, you know, an expense and a payment over time. But again, it is going to depend on what the longer term kind of aspirations and what family life and all that other stuff looks like. Cool. Thank you. So there's an answer, not answer, but (laughs) that's what this is, right? So Max, any questions? Any thoughts, any things that you've seen in conversation or had conversations with? Yeah. So talking to a lot of classmates and everything and just industry-wide, I'm sure you realize that's kind of notorious for veterinarians and people in this field to just like have crazy anxiety with finances and just kind of push it off. But asking you like, what is your advice for just getting started uh, towards like financial literacy? Like, do you have any like resources or methods to just like start that journey or Yep. So I think the easiest thing to think about would be when you know and you get a job offer and you start to kind of just like outline, like, what am I going to make? Okay. This is what my salary is. And this is what I will net from that. So like, okay, let's factor in when I have you know, health insurance or I'm saving into a 401k or whatever, like net what's coming into the household. And then what are my different buckets of expenses? So I have car payment. I maybe have rent. I maybe have my student loans and I have food and I have all these other things. Try to then bucket into that something where you're saying, I'm saving, I'm putting aside money. And if that is just the first place is, hey, it's the retirement plan that's offered through my first job and I'm going to get the match. That is fine. There are going to be seasons of life where you're going to be able to save a lot more. And there's going to be seasons of life where it's like, hey, I'm just trying to get through to this next kind of gate. And like early on, what I would just try to focus on is what am I making and then where are my expenses and at least understanding just broadly based where that's at and then start to save. You don't have to think like, oh, I need to go learn about investing and get like really in the minutia because it's like, okay, you maybe are going to save $10,000. Okay, you are a whiz and you all of a sudden have awesome investment returns and you save $10,000, you make 30% returns, which is awesome that's not going to matter that much as more being like, well, if I just saved an extra two grand, that would be way more impactful, especially earlier on. As much as that may seem like a really unsexy, unfun answer, it's going to be much more around getting like, what well, I was talking about like a sustainable lifestyle in place. And then you can kind of grow from there. And it's a great question because I think at times I'm guilty of as well, like saying, okay, let's go to like step six and talk about that stuff versus trying to be at step one, which is literally, okay, what hits my bank account? What do I spend? And then ensuring that there's at least something getting put away. Good goal initially, at least 10% stretch goal, try to get to 20. It's going to be hard early on, especially if you are paying into lots of different things. And let's say you are single, and there's not another income that's coming in. Yeah, there's going to be bills. There's going to be things that there's an overlap that's going to be tricky. As far as like some good books, I think the millionaire next door and the next millionaire next door. So Dr. Sarah Fala, I think she's a UGA grad actually. 
Awesome. Love to hear that. Great book. She, I think was episode seven or eight. Got super lucky just because I had a personal connection to her and her company that she was able to come on. Like she was way too big to like come on to like this little podcast early on, but she is a great guest. And I think it's called the science behind building wealth is the name of the episode, but I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a great episode. It kind of talks through like, Hey, how's that like little old grandma that worked at the school have all this money at the end of life and just kind of breaking down, like, what does it take? I think it's a really approachable book. You don't have to be a financing like nerd or really interested. It can just be like, I want to just be better. It's not necessarily like super technical. It's just, this is approachable. This is what people did. So I like it because it's science-based too. And I think that would be approachable, especially for a lot of you all too. Like, Hey, like, what's the numbers tell us? What's the data? So kind of going off that, when you were talking about like first steps, I know that I'm a victim of trying to jump to step six when I haven't figured out the other five steps before that. And one of the first places that I got into investing was kind of like you said, organizing what you have. And again, it's subjective, but wondering what the best tools are for organizing your finances. Because I know some people use Excel sheets. I use YNAB. There's a lot of them out there. I didn't know if you had recommendations or reasons to use one over another that you had opinions on. Yeah, YNAB, so that you need a budget is what it's called. I think it's really good if you like really getting more granular and like having to be forced to do things. It's the idea of almost like the old fashioned envelope system in an electronic form. So it really helps people, I think, get a really good handle. Sometimes it can be too overbearing for certain types of people where they get burnt out after a couple months. There's one called Teller HQ, which is kind of the Excel template where it does connect and will pull in like data aggregation from other tools around. The challenge with all tech tools and data aggregation is depending on what credit cards or banks or different things, like if you have your credit union from your small hometown, like sometimes it doesn't connect and you can't pull in the data and it stinks because it won't work. And then it kind of breaks that. But I mean, you can just also think about it and just take a snapshot of like three months of what is normal. And everyone's going to say, well, this was a one-off expense. Guess what? You're probably going to always have a one-off expense every quarter. So just like factor that in and look at it being like fixed expenses, variable expenses, savings, and look at it from 50% is fixed, 30% is variable, 20% is basically in savings. And if you're being aggressive and trying to like pay down your student loans, factor that into the savings bucket over and above what the normal kind of payment is. So if you're like, hey, I'm going to get aggressive, I'm going to pay off my loans in seven years, you're going to make double payments or something, that extra, put that into that 20% bucket. And you can just look at it from that way and just say, okay, am I in kind of those broad categories or am I like, oh, my fixed expenses are 80%. Well, maybe your fixed expenses are far too high. So you need to make some adjustments. So maybe, yeah, the car payment is crazy. Like you need to make an adjustment there. That might not be the fun answer. It might not be nice to see that, but you also might live in LA and it's like, well, housing is just stupid expensive. And that could be a reality of life too. So yeah, going off that. And I've heard you talk about this on the podcast before with housing and everything and trying to not keep up with the Joneses and all that. And there's no pressure to buy a house, but if you're in that stance in life and you're actually looking to buy a home pretty soon after vet school, like numbers wise, what do you think, uh, with the income we get, how much house can a veterinarian realistically afford? This is an awesome question. And right now, I think the biggest challenge in talking to people, including veterinarians, non-veterinarians, like, so like Vincere, which is like the day job, right? We have clients, like I really focus on the vet med space, but 
partner and some others that they work in the tech space as well. And they work kind of outside of veterinary medicine, which has been interesting as well. But a lot of people that make good money that still can't afford housing in certain areas in the country that it's like, it's just so ridiculously difficult right now to deal with housing. And so I think that saving up for a house or trying to figure out what the right decision is, has been as hard as almost any other financial decision from a planning perspective, because when you see housing going up the way it has, how do you save for that? Hey, I want to get a house in 18 months. Good luck telling me what you want to put into that's going to go up at 35%, 40%. It's really, really difficult to save towards it. With that being said, the first thing is that the normal folks like Isaiah that don't have doctor in front of our names, we have to put 20% down for a mortgage so that we don't get PMI, which is the property mortgage insurance. As a veterinarian, you can go to specialty lenders that have these things called physician loans. Now, this does not mean that you need to put 0% down. You can a lot of times and go up to like, I think, three quarters of a million dollars to have a house. So the question is, what's the rate? And does this fit into the budget from an expense perspective? And when I talk about that, so think about your mortgage payment being net somewhere 25% or less of what you're going to pay. 25 at the high end, hopefully, right? Again, it's going to depend on where you're at around the country and stuff like that, but use that as kind of a rough framework. There might be times where you can stretch it. If you have a spouse or significant other or a partner or whatever, like maybe you can split that so it can go a little bit farther, but that's one way to look at it. So I am, again, a proponent of not saying like, if we go back to 3% 30-year mortgages, why am I going to go put 10, 15, 20% down? I can go put a really small down payment down. And as long as I can afford that monthly payment, I'm trying not trying to buy more house than what I can afford. That's the trade-off. And then you have to go take that money that you would have put down in the house and do something with it that's productive, not just go and spend it, not then go get the new car and all the furniture and all the other stuff that you know you probably should kind of wait on and get it in chunks. But good kind of thought would be 20% great goal, 25% maybe the high end that's really hard to do right now, like stupid hard to do. And so it gets really difficult. And I think people just get frustrated. Like, well, pricing is never going to come down. The housing market, as I think I have a podcast that came out recently, is popping, is busting, is going to correct because with the interest rates being as high as they are, the asset price of the house has to come down. And that will come down and it's going to be painful for people that bought the top. But again, as long as they can keep their job, which you're starting to see some layoffs, you know, and some things that are kind of not overly you know, rosy happening at the moment. But as long as they keep their job and they can cash flow it, they'll be fine. They'll just overpay for it for a while. So for anyone that's thinking about buying a house, just be patient. That would always be my kind of encouragement at the moment. You'll get an opportunity. So I know you talked with Dr. Michael Bug, who is a real estate wizard, guru, perhaps. I've personally kind of tinkered on the thought process of not now, but in the future, getting into buying a duplex or whatever that is. So then you basically don't have a mortgage. You basically get rid of that expense that you have. So then you can allocate that money towards other cash flowing assets. I'm wondering if that's too stressful for a veterinarian to take on given our day-to-day job, unless you could outsource all of the fun landlord things that come with that. But I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that in general. Kind of an odd question. Like I said, we didn't pre-plan any questions. This is all just freewheeling it, which is what makes these fun. No, I think house hacking is a great idea. I like it. It's all going to be like, what's the price that you pay for the duplex? If you way overpay for the duplex, 
then maybe it's going to be stressful. But if you can get a heck of a deal and you like it and you're interested, shoot, you get someone that's the right type of person next door, it's fine. And you could still be the person that collects stuff. They don't have to know it's you that owns the building. You don't have to disclose that. You can just say, hey, I'm collecting for the land. Like, you don't have to lie about it, but you don't have to be like overly in their face. Like, hey, I'm the landlord and I live next door. Just be like, hey, I, you know, I'm here, I collect the payments, whatever, and then just let it be. And you'll probably get a little bit more of a realistic take for how they are pretty quickly. But if they know you're the landlord and know that you own it, maybe they're going to be a little bit more kind to the space. I don't know. But I think if you're interested in it, it's not necessarily more stressful. It's just you're always going to have stress. I think that's one thing that's really hard, regardless of the job that you're in. You're always going to have stress. You're going to have stress because this thing happened at this time. You're going to have stress because a spouse, a kid, a relationship, there's going to be all kinds of stressors out there. It's all going to be about how do these things stack? And then just, is it something that you think is worth the time and effort? And if you can get to the point where you can start having a productive asset and you like the idea of real estate investing, I think it's a smart idea. Cool. Thanks. I like it. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that actually, because I've kind of tinkered with that thought too. I have another question. So with all the amazing people you've had on the podcast and all the industry experts you've been able to talk to, what's kind of your opinion as far as like what you've heard in the industry for the biggest pain points and just like bottlenecks, I guess, in veterinary practice and how to overcome those? That's why I bring on smart experts that answer these questions, right? <laughs> no, I think staffing is universally a challenge for every business at the moment, but I think especially in veterinary medicine as well. And so I think the idea of looking at the numbers and always being like, oh, your wages are too high on your P&L. Like, hey, A, you should understand what your expenses are and it's important. But I think the team with the best talent is going to win. And so if I'm building a hospital, I'm happy. And I just had this conversation with a client on Friday that's doing a startup. And it was like, Maybe you need to increase to get this specific person that is going to make her life easier. That will be a dynamic practice manager that she knows and works really well with and is will be a stress reliever, right? Pay up for that person. Now, don't let them put you in a bind to where they can dictate everything and then they run the show. So there has to be some level of respect there. But go get the talent. Go get the people that are there. Make sure you can be creative in other spots. But go get the right people to then make it happen. I think that is probably the biggest issue is so many people are afraid to spend to go get talent. Because at the end of the day, you can be a great doctor, but if you don't have a team around you, you can't do anything. So like, what's the point? You can go find tech. You can go find other things to help find cost savings or be creative in other spots. At the moment, like you're not going to be able to go find really good talent that can take care of patients and clients. And so for me, I think it's a talent game at the moment. And so go find the talent and pay up for it. And if you can't pay up for it, going back to what Thomas talked about earlier, you better have a damn good story, vision, and mission for what you're doing and why you do what you do. Because you don't have to necessarily pay top dollar. Then maybe you have to be flexible and do some other things uniquely. I think it's all about getting talent at the moment. Everybody and their mom is looking for veterinarians and para staff right now. It makes me sad and happy because the veterinary industry is kind of putting their foot down along with a lot of other industries. Like, hey, this is what we're worth. This is what we want. This is what we need to be healthy in our careers. And it's kind of cool to see that dynamic over the last four, three or four years kind of switch. I guess going along with that and trying to maintain staff, 
have you heard of any cool like incentive structures or anything to like keep that staff there? Obviously culture is huge, but I'm going to say one that will surprise no one that is actually, I've not seen anyone in VetMed do this, but I think it'd be really cool to see it. But it was a, there's a company that is basically allowing you to buy and hold Bitcoin for your team. And so it could be a way to, to save for them on behalf of that team. So I think if explained correctly, I think that'd be super unique. And so if I was trying to be a scrappy, either corporate offering that was trying to make a name for myself or trying to do something else, I think that'd be a unique way where I could say, hey, we're going to do this, we'll take care of it, and then it's yours, and this is how it vests, versus, you know, traditional 401k. And if they did the research and did the time and energy, I think that's an interesting way to do it. I think having a conversation and not being so like, well, our benefit package is X, and it's this, and that's it. I think you just need to maybe be able to kind of tailor some of that and say, here are the options. A la carte, you get two out of the five or whatever. Pick which ones you want. Do you want more time off? Do you want more pay? Because some people are going to say, I don't care. I got to pay bills, so like pay me more. Okay, cool. Well, they're willing to show up and work a different schedule or different things where someone else is like, mm, I got young kids. Like I need to be out of here by certain times. And so I think trying to be flexible to meet people where they're at and spending some time to get to know them and investing in them, you know, at the human level would be helpful. But yeah, I mean, obviously I'm anyone that listens to the podcast know I'm, I'm pro Bitcoin. And I think that to me, is something that's super unique. Like it actually materially change someone that's paycheck to paycheck over time if they're able to save into an asset that is a scarce asset that is growing in purchasing power over time. So I think that's a unique one. So obviously you're pro Bitcoin as most should be, right? I guess my question is I hear a lot of questions nowadays about the validity of a Roth IRA, whether or not most, if not all companies have a match of some sort. But do you think there are better options for people who are savvy enough to invest themselves than just that? Or how would you go about wording that to somebody who's interested in other options? So Roth IRA in itself is just like the account. So I think the way I would try to describe it is that to me is, I think I've used this analogy like when I talk about investing, but it, think of it like, okay, if I have a phone and I'm going to wrap it for Christmas, do I put it in a box with paper wrapping or I put it in a gift bag with the stuff that you put in the top. I can't remember what it is. Tissue paper, right? It's still a phone inside. It's just the account that's around it, right? So traditional IRA, Roth IRA, big difference there is Roth IRA, you pay your taxes. It goes in, it's tax-free from the growth. It comes out tax-free. Traditional IRA, you get the tax deferral. So you don't pay any taxes up front. Rose tax deferred, you pay the taxes on the back end. So to me, the Roth IRA from a tax vehicle, very, very attractive from the standpoint of when I'm younger, I can put money into this. I'll, I know what my tax rate is today. Taxes are unknown in the future. I will be shocked if they're lower in the future than what they are now. So again, depending on where you live as well, maybe hey, I'm in California today, but I think I'm going to retire in Tennessee. Okay, maybe that logic changes because you want to pay the taxes when you're going to Tennessee in the future, but you're in California today. If you're doing that in the reverse, then obviously it'd be a different story. So yeah, you have to factor in other things, but no, I think a Roth IRA from an account perspective still makes a lot of sense. Then the question is, what do you do inside of that Roth IRA? And so what do you want to put in that Roth IRA? Well, if I know that it's tax-free, when it comes out, it's tax-free. I want something that is going to have the most opportunity to be growing in something that maybe can be as tax inefficient as possible in this account. So if I wanted to buy something, sell something, make adjustments, that's the account I'd want to do it in. So there's no tax ramifications. So I think it gives you a lot of flexibility for that. So yeah, 
I definitely like Roth IRAs. Cool. Thank you. I have another pretty specific question. So I'm sure you've heard that like going on nowadays, we're getting the potential for like pretty hefty sign-on bonuses. And sometimes there's strings that's attached to those. So just wanted to your opinion on what vet students or like recent grads should think about those. Like, should we do something with that money or just kind of hold off? Or I guess it all depends, but what are your thoughts? So I just recorded, I don't know if you guys have listened to the non-compete episode with Paul Diaz, but it dropped recently. A, everyone should listen to it because Paul's great and it was such a fun, he's a fun person to talk to. So that was a long time coming, but he talked about in there that they should all be prorated. So like if I get a 12 month sign-on bonus and I make it to month 11, I should only owe a month back of that. So just understanding what the language and the terms are with that and push back on it because his advice and he's like, yeah, right now, especially knowing that it's a competitive market where you can kind of dictate terms. Don't be an ass, you know, over ask and be a jerk, but put your foot down and say, hey, if you're going to give me this big sign-on bonus, I've been in delayed gratification mode. I've been eating ramen for four years. Like I would like to have some nice things. Finally, I've busted my home. If I get this money, I'm going to want to do something with it. And maybe I do want to save it. Maybe I do want to go take a vacation. Maybe I do want to do something and that's totally fine. But just understand if you leave, because if we had someone recently, they got a huge sign-on bonus and it didn't work out because you know everything was rainbows and butterflies and then it happened and it's messy. So just be very careful because I think that's a great question of don't have it spent before it even hits the account. So And the fact that what they give you and then the taxes come out, you're going to owe the full amount back and you might not see that. And again, that's another thing that Paul said. So I'm kind of stealing his answer, but it was an excellent one. He talked about that recently. So what I would say is always go back and negotiate it. And depending on how long it is till it vests, try to make sure that it's prorated. And I think that's fair to everyone involved. But then, yeah, save it. Don't do anything too crazy, but save half, spend half. Spending money is not an evil thing, right? You are allowed to spend money. What's the point? The point is the money is there to reward you for the energy and the economic output that you've put forth. So it's just delayed gratification. So you've earned it. Go do something with it. I mean, being in vet school, I mean, I like to think I know a lot about finances, but I am studying to be a veterinarian. <laughs> and so your time is consumed with that mostly. And I think that when a lot of people see those big, shiny, large sign-on bonus numbers, they don't consider the implications. It's a good question. It's pretty solid. Anything else? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a huge honor to be on this podcast. I reached out to you via email, like, a year ago almost saying how I honestly got involved with VBMA because I like heard about it through this podcast first. So it's really cool to come full circle and be a part of it. So thanks for having me. I love it. Yeah. Just share it out. Continue to let folks within VBMA chapters, I think know about the podcast because like, that's the goal. That's what I'm trying to help get the message out is saying, Hey, like veterinary medicine can be an awesome career. And there's going to be certain episodes that are going to be really targeted to people that are farther along in their journey. But you know what? It's like, if you're interested in this and you want to figure out some different things, there's going to be someone on that's going to talk about stuff that hopefully can help your career. And I know that you just have all kinds of extra time while you're going through vet school. But if you're working out, you're walking dog, whatever it is, right? I think there's hopefully some knowledge from some really smart people that can hopefully find their way to them. So no, I appreciate you both. Thanks for both being able to bring me to your campuses because that was a ton of fun and it's been fun to to get to know you both each a little bit and uh, wish you both the best. And um, yeah, thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.